anyone else have trouble sleeping last night and the night before that? Same. And I've tried everything, but it either doesn't help me sleep so I'm cranky and tired the next day, or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the DM. Make their mission your mission, because they will not rest until we all rest. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com. Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumkey is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumkey will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumkey. Apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer. Restrictions apply. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander, and everybody calls me Bill. Hope everything's doing well on this Monday evening. We do have a guest this evening, and you are listening to us on WMCK.FM McKeesport, 107.5 FM, WLDJ Newcastle, 1620 AM Huntingdon and Huntington Community Radio, Mixtape Radio International, Steel FM, WWSX, 99.1 FM Radio Rehoboth, Orca Radio, Owensboro, Kentucky, and streaming online at italknet.com and Pittsburgh Talk Radio. Dot com. <laughs> it's it's March first. Everything <laughs> just fell apart <laughs> in the first two minutes of the program tonight. <laughs> so I apologize that we do have a guest this evening, and this is her right now. <laughs> Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the program. Hey, how are you, Bill? <laughs> Well, for my audience who's on with us right now, this is uh, Michelle Dickinson, and we are <laughs> been trying to get in touch for a while here. And for some reason, when you called me this night tonight, my phone line just died. I got the message, <laughs> and it just went. So you're calling me on my backup number tonight. So that's why we were a little bit late starting out. But anyhow, Michelle, welcome to the program. Uh, what we're going to be talking tonight, I think, is very important to a lot of people because we're all dealing with this at the same time. And, and a little bit of information that you gave me before we got started is one in three Americans are dealing with depression or anxiety due to the pandemic. That's according to the CDC. And more than 69% of employees are experiencing burnout since symptoms while working at home 17 billion is lost annually in productivity due to the unsupported mental health challenges and it is estimated that u.s businesses lose more than 200 million workdays each year due to depression mm -hmm. i find that very interesting because this year which i went on lockdown it will be a year on march 13th and finally went back to work in person in September 
And because I am a school teacher, we have had one of the most unusual school years ever because mm-hmm. we've been in and out of the classroom. And not only are the teachers dealing with this stress, it's also the students. And we yeah. make this assumption that these students are very resilient, but yet they're dealing with it in more ways than I think we are. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. You you raise some really important points here. Um, our youth are especially at risk right now. We have a, we have a suicide um, statistic among our adolescents that is rising that we have to do more for them. But then, you know, how do we do that? We have to, we have to model what it looks like to take care of our mental health so they follow suit. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity here um, to not look away from what we're all dealing with. We're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with fatigue after you mentioned it's almost been a year. Like there's so much um, that can be done to, to really start talking about this and supporting one another and normalizing the conversation around mental health. Now, as, as much as I hate to say this, is it possibly a good thing that what we've dealt with this last year, we've all dealt with together, and this is making us look at mental health and depression differently than it did before? Because before, yeah. before yeah. it was like, oh, only certain people got it who were having difficult times coping with life. Now that everybody's had a difficult time coping with life, we're now experiencing it more. Absolutely. And that's what that is, in my opinion, Bill, that is the silver lining because we're looking at our, our colleagues and our and our family members sitting next to us virtually or, you know, at home. And we're all navigating this the best that we can. And we're all experiencing something with that statistic one in three. I mean, it's really prevalent now and it is an opportunity to shine a light on it because more of us are experiencing it. And with more of us experience it and talk about it, we can, we can eradicate the stigma, um, you know, in the, in the, the space of this pandemic for sure. Now, I know this is going to be a loaded question, but I'm going to ask anyhow. Mm-hmm. With what we're dealing with now, what can you say, and, and if you can, I understand that, but what causes depression and anxiety? So I think that fundamentally, if you look at us as human beings, human connection is so important. So you take instances of quarantine and you know, removing our our uh, routines that um, that we're familiar with. And now I know it feels forever ago since you had a routine, but it's all of those factors, and most importantly, the human connection. So that you have stresses, you know, in in the news that we're hearing. We had a political yes. um, nightmare. All of these compounding effects, and listening to the news, and staying home, and, and and you know, away from those that we love. All of these play into how we navigate this experience and contribute to depression and anxiety. I mean, anxiety is is even more prevalent now. And it's probably induced by the overconsumption of media and the overconsumption of social media um, and not, you know, having the healthy balance to, you know, do the things that nourish our, our minds and just instead being on autopilot. So there's there's a lot of complexities around that. Now, do we all suffer from depression in some way, shape or form? However, it's not chronic depression. 
I feel like, you know, we need to stop relating to us being mentally ill or mentally well. Okay. We, we all glide along a continuum. Um, and, and at any given time, life events occur. And, you know, we're not, we're not either mentally ill or mentally well. We're, we're gliding along this continuum throughout our lives. Events happen, and so we struggle, and then we come back. You know, we're, we're very resilient human beings, but we're also complex human beings, and we're, we're molded as young children, and, and all of the tra- trauma and, and challenges we experience as children, we bring with us into life. And, and those experiences contribute to how well we navigate instances like this pandemic, for example. So I feel like to say everyone has experienced depression, quote unquote, a clinical diagnosis of depression okay. might not be right, but we all have, are having our own unique experiences with mental well-being. And, you know, so I think we just need to sort of step away from labels and just recognize that we're all going to be dealing with something at some point in our lives. And, you know, and, and, and it is what it is because we're human beings. Now, Michelle, since we jumped into this interview tonight, I did not get a chance to introduce you the way I wanted to. So would you mind introducing yourself to my audience? Sure, absolutely. So I am a mental health change agent. I'm very, very passionate about causing more um, understanding uh, around mental health in the world. I do that because I grew up with a mother who suffered from bipolar disorder, and I cared for her for a large part of my life. Um, And then I was diagnosed with depression a few years ago, going through a a very challenging divorce of my own. Um, And and simultaneously to that, I was helping to build a culture of compassion in my Fortune 50 company by by building a mental health employee resource group to really open up the conversation, create supportive structure within the organization, and remove stigma so people with invisible disabilities had a seat at the table without judgment. So it also said that you were working for a, at a, career, a pharmaceutical career, correct? Yeah, I spent 19 years in the pharmaceutical industry. So how did you get from pharmaceutical to mental health? <laughs> I gave a TED Talk. It oh, all started yeah. Well, I saw TED the talk. TED Talk, by the way. Very good. Uh, I was very Thank impressed. Um, yeah, so I, I gave a TED Talk. I was nominated to give this TED Talk about my mother and my experience loving her. And it really just catapulted me in a way that I did never, like I never thought it would. Um, because the power of storytelling has the ability to really help other people see a little bit of their story in yours. So that storytelling experience led me to write my memoir, Breaking Into My Life, uh-huh. and and had me be very, um, you know, curious about what else could I do with my story that could cause change. So I, I became a public speaker, and I was doing a lot of interviews and, and um, leading discussions about mental health. So when, when I hear you say that you were diagnosed with depression um again this is one of those questions that i that i have now i will be upfront with you i was diagnosed with depression this past july um Mm -hmm. and we hit the pandemic and let me just tell you it 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 was tough on me mentally because the lack of social interaction that i had yes i have my wife and my kids 
but it was not the same. And I was starting to go through this downward spiral Mm -hmm. that I was, and and I use the term overthinking things. Now that may not be the right way to say it, but Mm -hmm. when you were diagnosed with it, was the world basically crashing down around you or were you just having problems coping with things? No, I, yeah. So for me, it was, it was, it felt like the world was crashing okay. down around me. It really, really did because, you know, I was with, I was with my ex for many, many years and that was my, that was my familiarity. That was my consistency. And then all of a sudden, you know, our relationship is coming to an end. So it really did feel like the world was coming down around me, but because I had grown up with a mother and, and getting therapy was, was just a normal thing that you do when you struggle I had no hesitation to get help. So I, I got help immediately and, and that sort of, uh, well, that definitely helped me navigate it a little bit more easily. So I would say the key is good for you for getting the support because a lot of people, they sort of go into the vortex of their head before, and then it gets even worse before they go and get help. Well, I actually think I went into the vortex of my head for a period of time because I've dealt with these feelings for quite a few years and I would go into it, then come out, then go into it because Mm -hmm. the fields that I've done, I've done radio for 30 plus years and I've always been locked into a room talking to myself for the most part. Mm -hmm. And there was no real interaction other than what I would get over the, over the telephone or with the actual um, live interviews. Mm -hmm. Then I went into education and I was dealing with these, these uh, 14 to 19 year olds in that setting. And then I was realizing what they were going through on a daily basis. And then I was internalizing what they were going through and not able to help them get out of it. So then my self-esteem dropped drastically. Not only did it drop drastically, it was like I couldn't make a difference. And with me not being able to make a difference, because that's always been my goal, I felt that I was useless and I wasn't doing very well. So my self-esteem really was poor. Oh, wow. um, but again, I put up a great front because no one knew that I was having this problem until I got to a point saying, Hey, I can't deal with this anymore. I need someone to help me get out of this. And lucky right. for me for the past eight months, I'm, I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's just mm-hmm. that I'm using COVID as part of the reason why I'm in it because life changed. Life yeah. got totally different. And I'm hoping that other people, when they hear, me talk about it, you talk about it, that mm-hmm. if they have these issues, they need to go find the help. Oh, absolutely. There is no shame in getting help. You know, I really want people to realize the brain is just another organ. You know, we, we don't have fear or embarrassment around going to the doctor if we're struggling, you know, if we have heart disease or, you know, something's wrong with any part of our body. It's just the brain. Why, why do we have this this fear or this embarrassment around our brain. It's just another organ. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think we, we have such a great opportunity now with, with the pandemic to really normalize this discussion. Um, so, so people don't suffer in isolation and silence. So how do you, how do you work with, with the, the, uh, the way you're, you're working with people in dealing with, depression, anxiety, what are some of the tools that you give them to Mm -hmm. help them deal with this? Because I know medication is always a last resort, but what are some of the things that you help them deal with? Sure. So I I first want to just disclose that I am not a clinician. So I don't, 
work with people, uh, patients, or, or anything of that nature. What what my approach is is I work with organizations to build resilience. Okay. So I remind people of all the things they truly do have control over and all the things that they can be doing on a daily basis in terms of their daily habits, their structures, their routines, the things that bring them power and health and mental health, like well-being, okay. uh, pro- proactively before they hit that that point of a crisis and they need clinical support. So I'm all about educating people around things they can be doing daily to just put them back in the cockpit of their life and in control and empowered around their life and their and their work um, if they're working from home. Um, so yeah, those that's really how I work with organizations. And I also then, you know, I have an assessment, a burnout assessment to really assess how the organization is doing because many organizations really don't know right now. So we do this burnout assessment. We get sort of the what so the reality of how people are faring. Okay, and then we and then we focus on the resilience training. Um, and then look at how is their culture? What else could they be doing to normalize the conversation? Like, are they are they doing things to create a stigma-free environment so their people feel comfortable talking to their leader and reaching out for support? Do you feel that the, the employer um, should take more of an active role in their clients or their, um, their employees' well-being? Because the the employer the employee is there for such a long period of time that maybe some of the feelings they're having are being caused by work in some way, shape, or form. Human capital is the greatest asset any organization has, and now is now is the time more than ever during a crisis, during a global crisis, to really show up and 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 show them that they have their back. Okay, you know I think. I've read a few articles, uh, Forbes articles around, this is the opportunity where we breed loyalty. Loyalty is something that um, seems to go by the wayside. But in, in instances like this, there are golden opportunities for organizations to breed loyalty and really care for their people. And that employee is going to remember that long after this pandemic is over. Do you see, and, I, and the, the way you said that made me think of something, that when my my father who i'm i'm in my mid 50s my father when he uh, when he was working he ended up working for the same company for his whole career mm-hmm, mm-hmm. unlike today where the average person bounces around oh every 7 to 10 years to different mm-hmm. jobs so there is no quote unquote loyalty so is it yeah. more responsible for the business now to actually try to create that loyalty between them and their employee so that the employee knows they got their back and they're not just coasting through until the next job. Exactly. So if, if you could look at it that way or you can look at it as I want to be the employer of choice. Okay. And, and nowadays, I mean, you look at the newer generations coming into the workplace, they're actually demanding a culture that is inclusive. For, for people with invisible disabilities. They're demanding that the conversation around mental health be normal and be, be one that is acceptable. So organizations really need to recognize that this is the workplace of the future. And if they want to compete for top talent, they, they need to be an organization that it promotes mental well-being, that cares for their people beyond, you know, an 800 hotline. Right. Um, that, re- that really does have the well-being, the mind, the body, 
you know, the soul, the spirit of their, the full employee at heart. So when you work with these, with these companies, do you actually see what they're doing for their employees now? Or yeah, you, yeah, you, exactly. Okay. So you go, cause if you go in and you find a toxic, toxic environment, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Because a lot of employers don't want to see that they have a problem. Their response is we've been doing it this way for all these years. We don't need to change. But then the yeah, employees well, are mean, miserable, and you got to do something to get that moving forward. A lot of organizations are already doing something. Okay. So, you know, so, and, and what I'm assessing for when I do the assessment is really how employees are faring during the pandemic, right? Okay. So we're just seeing how, the, how are they doing working from home? Are, you know, how are they feeling? Do they feel comfortable reaching out for support? No, yes, like... So it's really getting the lay of the land right now um, and understanding how people are doing. That's super important. And most organizations are already doing something. They're already doing something. But now it's a matter of, okay, can we turn the volume up on that? Can we do, can we add uh, something else? Is there something else that we can add based on this assessment, based on the probability of your employees burning out? What else can be done? And that's where we can bring in some some recommendations and some strategies that really do help alter the culture. Now, what are some of the suggestions that you might have for an employer to um, to work with their employees? Yeah, for for fundamental reasons, I mean, if you want to shift the culture in a workplace, you there there are several steps you can do, and you can go to my website. I have five steps to cultivating a, a culture of compassion. Okay. If they tru- if they truly want to create that and, and be able to say that they're an inclusive organization for people with mental illness or mental well being challenges, you can go to my website, which is um, www.michellee.dickinson.com. The first and foremost thing I would say is lead by example. There's so many leaders in organizations who have either had a loved one with a mental health challenge okay. or they or they have navigated anxiety or depression. The best thing they can do is speak up and go first because that will literally set the tone for the entire organization. If a leader is willing not to like air all your dirty laundry, but just to admit that you're a human being and that, you know, maybe you dealt with something too and it's okay to not be okay. They can literally, they can do so much just by going first. You you made a comment before you started talking there about if they're willing to do this. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. have people that just go through the motions and not actually, I don't want to use, well, I will use the word care about their employee, but they want to look like they care? I think we're always going to run into that, right? Because the ego is the, the ego is a, is a very complex thing. <laughs> yeah, because to me, an employee can tell when their employer cares. They know when they're going through the motion, especially Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with a toxic environment that there is no support whatsoever. And I think we've all worked in in, um, situations like that before where Mm -hmm. that's when we realized we had to leave. But but again, looking at what you do, does the employer contact you and say, we need you to come in and look at the way we are structured so you can help us help our employees. 
Exactly. Exactly. Like we want to, we want to be able to tap into your, into your services. This is what, what we currently think is going on. Can you please help us? Okay. Um, because we, we know we want to do more. And, and I love those organizations because it speaks volumes for the fact that they really do care for their people and, and they want to do more because they understand that they're struggling. So, so yeah, so it's, it's a matter of, how they want to work, if they want to look at their structure first, if they want to look at their culture first, or if they want to just have me do the assessment to really get the what the the what so or the reality of how people are doing. I worked with a company years ago, and this is before I got into education, that they brought someone in very similar to you. And they did that. And while the person was there observing the company, everything was wonderful. But as soon as the organization left the company, everything went back to the way it was. Do you give them certain things that they have to do on a regular basis, like a timeline to keep it going in the right direction? Because I can imagine that if someone like you is not there beating the drum to keep moving forward, they're just going to settle back in their old ways. Yeah, you know, a culture takes a while to shift. So it's more, more times than not. There needs to be a robust strategy and there needs to be, um, you know, champions within the organization because as much as consultants want to come in and change things, unfortunately, it takes leadership to actually drive that change within the culture. So it, it's, a, it's a bigger strategy and it's multi-pronged. So you can't just, you know, check a box and do like these two things and think everything's going to be okay. You really have to look at you know, what are the different aspects and how are they going to be rolled out and who's going to take ownership for those different pieces so that there is sustained change and it's not just, oh, I checked the box now, everything's just going to revert to the way it was. Um, I think there's more at stake now. I think people get that burnout and turnover and cost to the bottom line and cost to disability is really what employers need to focus on. So I think there's a heightened attention to not just doing something for the act of doing it, but doing something, God forbid, to prevent a suicide because right. no organization wants to have to endure a suicide of an employee or the ripple effect after. Okay. And, and yeah, and I can understand how that'd be a, a traumatizing event um, for the whole organization if that happened. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, and and then going back to the whole, the whole, um, working with the employers. So what I'm hearing is that when you work with these employers, it's always, it has to be top down. It can't be bottom up. It has to be, the management has to, has to, I hate to use the term buy into it to trickle it down through the employees because it will never go from the bottom up. Well, actually that is a very, very good point because I think what, what has to happen is actually both. Okay. I think, I think that the leadership should set the tone, um, declare that they're going to be an organization that is stigma-free, that is truly inclusive of people with invisible disabilities, backed by policies that support that. But then you can have, you can create the, the framework to um, foster an employee resource group. And that is truly a grassroots effort where employees come together to support one another, whether they're navigating a mental health challenge or have a loved one at home they're caring for, that that community supporting community can be incredibly powerful. Okay. And 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 I work with organizations to really say, okay, so how are we going to build this ERG for your people? 
because ERGs are, are really powerful. What is an ERG? Yeah, so it's an employee resource group. It okay. used to be sort of the uh, affinity group. Um, it used to people would refer to them as affinity groups that would sort of bring people together okay. um, with common with common backgrounds, but. The employee resource group for mental health, per se, or for um, disabilities, it could be for physical and, and um, uh, invisible disabilities. Okay. Um, it's just it, what's so beautiful about that is you have employees supporting employees, like your greatest resource supporting your greatest resource. Like it is it is truly a beautiful thing when somebody who has navigated a mental health challenge returns to the workplace because they represent hope. For their other employees, um, and then they then they have that that support mechanism in the workplace um, to help one another. It's awesome, Michelle. I have to take a brief time out, and then we'll come mm-hmm. back to more conversation. So I'll put you on hold right now, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Online with Bill Alexander. We'll be back in just a few moments with Michelle Dickinson online with Bill Alexander. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week, and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at RumkeyCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've ever been a renter... You know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. As the world faces the challenges of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, Lions recognize that kindness matters now more than ever. And Lions and Leos are finding ways to continue to serve our communities, including ordering food delivery for healthcare workers, holding story time for children online, and providing surgical masks to medical professionals and first responders. Empowering us to do more, Lions Club's International Foundation has provided nearly $2.5 million in grant funding for COVID-19 relief. And that support continues to grow. For more than 100 years, in times of need, Lions always find a way to help those around them. And after we emerge from this, we will be stronger than ever. Visit lionsclubs.org to learn more. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small... Your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. 
you must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. And we are back. And don't forget you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander on our flagship station, WMCK.FM, McKeesport. Also, 107.5 FM, WLDJ, Newcastle. HOFMRadio.com, 1620 AM Huntington, Huntington Community Radio in Huntington, VA. Mixtape Radio International at mtri.co.uk. Steel FM at steelfm.org. WWSX Radio 99.1 FM, Radio Rehoboth in Rehoboth, Delaware. Orca Radio in Owensboro, Kentucky. And we have a new affiliate that just went on a week ago, Good Talk Radio. Yes, that's what I said goodtalkradio.com and of course we're streaming locally at italknet.com and pghtalkradio.com on the phone line I have Michelle Dickinson who we're talking about um, dealing with mental health and depression during the pandemic especially in the workplace now Michelle I I mentioned or you mentioned earlier about your TED talk and you were talking um, about your mother who was suffering from bipolar disorder, correct? Yeah, she did. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a book called Breaking Into My Life, Growing Up with a Bipolar Parent and My Battle to Reclaim Myself. Can you give us a little idea of what the book is about? Sure, sure. Thanks for asking. So, yeah, so I gave my TED Talk and I... I shared a little snippet of what life was like growing up with my mom. You know, bipolar disorder has the rapid cycling of like, you know, mania to deep depression, depressing lows where she's crying for, for days. And so I thought, you know, what a great response I got from the TED Talk. What if I was to really humanize the full experience of what life was like loving someone with a mental illness um, to really help people understand and maybe have more compassion for people with mental illness. So so that's really what I set out to do with the book. So it vividly reflects the experience um, throughout my, my childhood to my adolescence and to my young adult years of, um, you know, caring for my mom and, and what that experience was like. When did you realize that there was something different about your mother? Um, my mom, uh, I would say probably when I was four or five, okay. um, when she, when she started acting, um, I don't know, a little nervous and then, you know, they would take her away to the hospital and she would be gone for a few days and come back and she would be highly medicated. So I really wouldn't recognize her. So I don't know, probably when I was a little girl. So the, I mean, what, what year was this that, um, uh, probably the eighties, okay. I would say, um, early eighties, maybe, maybe late seventies. Okay. So treatment was very different back then. That, that's the reason I ask you that is cause I was going to ask if the treatment is different than it was back then, um, because of taking them in now, would they commit her or would she go voluntarily? 
you know, it would get to the point where she was just so um, nervous and upset that, like, my father would actually have to drive her. And, okay. And, um, yeah, and, and I uh, I think about that, and I think about how hard that must have been for him. But, yeah, she would be admitted, and she would be there for sometimes weeks on end, um, undergoing everything from, you know, shock therapy to whatever, you know, whatever other therapy that they would give her. And when did you start learning to deal with the way your your mother was, wh- the way she was? Because in your TED Talk, you talk about coming home from school mm-hmm. and being late from school and not knowing what mother you would get when you walked in the door. Yeah, so true. And thank you for watching it. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think anyone who loves someone with, with bipolar disorder just knows that you just don't know the person that you're going to get, you, you don't know what mood they're going to be in. And you, you sort of learn to become a chameleon so you can adjust to whatever mood that is. But yeah, I mean, that was just my normal. And it wasn't until I would go to my girlfriend's houses and see their interactions with their mother to recognize that my normal at home was, was very, very different from, from theirs. Now with growing up in this situation, do you, how do you feel that affect your maturity and how you dealt with issues yeah it's such a good question because i still am in therapy i gotta be honest with you bill okay. <laughs> I'm still in therapy, and i'm 49 years old it shapes you like no there's no way wait 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 back that up there is no <laughs> way you're 49 years old I'm 49. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the one. No, there's no way. I, I, I won't accept that. But anyhow, keep going. Thank you. You're too kind. Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, it's such a it's such an evolution. Our childhood shapes us. Those are formative years, right? So it, it shapes us. And, you know, growing up with someone with a mental illness, your needs always came second. So my okay. needs always, I never, I never vocalized what I really needed or wanted because, the needs of my mom were paramount. Like we did whatever we could to keep things peaceful and, and, and have her be okay. So I had to like unlearn this, this keeping quiet when I needed something, because I always throughout my life put other people's needs before my own. So I've had to find my voice. And ironically, you know, the first step in doing that was the Ted talk where I stood in front of all these people uh, on the big red dot and like told my story. So yeah, it's been a, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> so do you have other siblings? I had two cousins that live with us for okay. a short time. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was just curious if, if you did, if each individual in the household had a different responsibility to deal with your mother when there was different situations happening. Yeah. It was always, it was always who was, who was on the, um, who was on the naughty list. And, and you, you may not have even put yourself there. It just depended on her mood. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, you, you talk about in the Ted talk about visiting your mother with your future in-laws mm-hmm. and dealing with that and your dad there, and you were worried about how they were going to react to meeting mm-hmm. your mother because you didn't know what mood she would be in. But however, what you said, she was in a manic episode at the time. Yeah. When she was, she was in that manic episode, what, how did they react to her when they saw her going through these situations? You know, I think at that point it, it was, it was so long ago. So I think, you know, the thing, 
the thing with my mom is like we we never knew like I would have the confidence that she would be okay just based on like two days of her behavior and then like the second the second I would bring someone home or the second I would assume everything was okay that's when she would definitely be unbalanced again it was it was just so volatile and always so embarrassing always so embarrassing because then you try to figure out how you were going to talk your way out of it right or or pretend it didn't happen or diminish it like oh no she's just not feeling well today but so it was always work to try to cover it up or or you know sort of explain your way out of it so it was it was always so hard um, and and so unpredictable. So, is bipolar disorder um, genetic? You know, I think that there's stories about that. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I'm adopted, and oh, okay. I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed with depression a few years ago, going through my divorce, and um, I, I said to myself, I, "I I'm adopted. I, I won't ever have to deal with depression or bipolar right. disorder." But there's two schools of thought, right? Nurture versus nature. Yes. I grew up in a home riddled with depression, riddled with bipolar disorder, and and that was all consuming in the house. So while I didn't have her her makeup and her genes and 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 be her biological daughter, I was definitely surrounded by that for for you know the first twenty years of my life. So. Um, you know, I think there's two arguments there. Some would say yes, some would say no. See, that's interesting because I can see the, I can see, um, maybe I don't want to use this term, but I can see the depression being a type of learned behavior mm-hmm. because of the way you're dealing with things. And like you said, everybody else's needs came first, yours came second. And then yeah. if your needs aren't met, then you're trying to figure out what's wrong with me that no one's willing to help me meet my needs. Right. And I can see that, especially if you ended up becoming a caregiver for your mother. Now, your father, how involved was he in with 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 your mother? I mean, because I could see this splitting marriages apart. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. My father, though, my father was amazing. He never left my mother's side. Um, and she was not easy to love. She was not an easy woman to love. And I always said that, that my father was sort of a saint because he would never leave her side and he he stuck with her. Um, but he also was very limited in his understanding of mental illness just based on some of the things he would say, like trying to tell her to snap out of it, right. trying, trying to tell me to be a good little girl so she I didn't upset her. Like I, I was causing her upset. Like, no, she was bipolar. <laughs> um but that just was a reflection of the lack of, of knowledge, the lack of education. I mean, and he was married to her. So um, it's very interesting um, the roles that people play in certain situations. He, and, and then, you know, you also have to take into account that he grew up with an alcoholic mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all have, we all have the backstory that maybe, you know, gets, gets forgotten that affects us. So, but my father was, um, he worked a lot. He didn't really spend a lot of time raising me. Um, it was mostly her and he would just back her. Okay. Um, so, and, and nor did he defend me, you know, when she was in, in a, in a mood where, where I couldn't do anything right. And she felt the need to give me beatings. So 
I think he just did the best he could with what he knew, and that was focused on providing for the family more than anything, and, and that's what he was really good at. So it had to be difficult for you from your dad telling you that you had to be a good girl so mm-hmm. you didn't set your mother off because in your mind at that time, you probably thought you were the catalyst of the problem. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's hard because all you want in, in, a, in a space where you feel like your feelings are not, your feelings or your needs are not being met is you just want to be seen and you want to be heard and you want to be appreciated. Um, and you want some type of consistency. Kids need consistency. Right. And I had, and I had none of it. So yeah, it was, it was quite hard. So my question now is, so how do you go from that household of dealing with that to going into the line of work you're doing right now to try to help other people better Mm -hmm. themselves and work with these types of problems? When you deal with a lot of this situation, does it bring up old old wounds that you may be having healed over because of, of situations you're starting to identify with? You know, I think it, you know, I, I don't know that we ever truly heal. It's an evolution. It's a constant looking within, you know, and, and a constant self-discovery, peeling back the onion layer. I, I'm still in therapy. For me, the reason why I want to do this work is because I know too many people suffer in silence and, and in isolation and embarrassment. Um, you know, my mother didn't suffer. Well, she didn't really tell anyone what she was dealing with. So you could say that she suffered. Um, but she got the care. Like, they, you know, she was in the hospital. She was medicated. She saw a therapist. Um, but there's a lot of people that suffer in silence. And I think it wasn't until I was clin- diagnosed with clinically depressed that I really got her world or a snapshot of her world. Because... Mine was only temporary. Hers was was majority of her life. Right. And, and and that got me really connected to, like, how many other people are living without joy in the world? Like, and how unfair is that? So, I mean, I think for me, it got me connected to something bigger than me, something bigger than myself. Like, if I could use the pain of what I witnessed my mother experience the the upset of being depressed and how hard that was if i could use that to help other people then that's probably why i'm here on the planet that's probably why god put me here i think that's interesting that you said that that people that don't feel the joy and i feel that there's a lot of people just in in our communities that are having that problem because they were, and I hate to say this, they were sold a bill of goods of what life was supposed to look like. And they're not reaching that because of what they're seeing on Facebook, what they're seeing on Twitter, what they're seeing on Instagram. And that's probably playing into the way their mindset is because they'll never be good enough to get to that point where they think everything is perfect. Yeah, I mean, social media is really good for having having you compare yourself to other people's lives. And we all know that it's a curated reflection of <laughs> not reality. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, you know, because of my upbringing, you know, Bill, I put myself through a lot of self-discovery work on top of therapy, like Landmark, Tony Robbins, because I knew I had to unpack this. And I knew that I had more control than I 
I, I knew there was so much to learn. And in learning, I realized how much control I really do have over my future, that it's not dictated by my past. And I think a lot of people believe that what they've been through dictates their future. Okay. And I, of course, I basically pattern interrupted that with all my self-discovery work. And and that's what I was going to ask you, because I know you're not a clinical therapist mm-hmm. and that, but for the average person like me, like the guy down the street or anything else, how do you break that cycle of just dealing with it mentally about being able to do that? Because I've seen the Tony Robbins I've done and, and all that other stuff. But then there are times where you can fall back into the way you used to think. How do you mm-hmm. keep moving forward without taking those steps backwards? You have to surround yourself with people who are who are going to support you okay. and remind and remind you of of what you what you really are up to in this world. Um, I have a lot of great friends that um, that I surround myself with that, that just don't let me that don't let me digress. Okay. Um, you know, they say that you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. So it's it's a matter of looking around you and saying, who am I surrounded by? And are they are they fanning my flame or are they dousing water on my flame? Well, that's interesting that you say that, because in a lot of employee situations that people that are working in cubicles and stuff like that are dealing with five people around them that they have no choice, that they have to be there. So they could be positive or negative, and that's probably fueling their mindset also. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's why they're coworkers and not friends. <laughs> okay, um, and I, 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 that's interesting because I don't think I would have ever put those things together, that it's surrounding yourself with people that are... I get you want to use the word positive, whatever it may be, that are 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 stable in what they're doing is going mm-hmm. to help you because you're all working together for the same good. Unlike yeah. coworkers, you're only there from eight in the morning until five in the afternoon, and then after that, the heck with everybody until you come back in at eight in the morning. Yeah, it's so true. But very that, true. But then does that mean that a lot of people don't have that outside friend network and the only people they do associate are those people at work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of you have to realize, um, you know, you have to realize it's like the, the frog in the water that's boiling, right? The yes. frog doesn't know. The frog doesn't know and, and will boil. You You have to sort of take a step back and say, you know, who are the people that are closest to me and are those people people that are supporting me or, or, or hindering me. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's important. And then your mindset, your mindset is everything. And if they're, if they're contributing to a negative mindset, then maybe, maybe you should step back from them and, and gravitate to people that have a better mindset or, or who have gone to do things that inspire you. Right. Like, right who who are living their dream, who are, are up to things. I mean, those are the people who I want to be surrounded by who have realized the level of success that maybe I want, you know? So with the whole idea of isolation this past year with the pandemic, we're, we're, we're seeing more people that don't have that daily interaction. These right. would be people that you would think would be very well adjusted and people that were outgoing have you seen them start to suffer from depression or from anxiety because they don't have that human contact? 
you know, we're all dealing with this in our own way. It's, it's all based on our past traumas. So even the strongest people, yeah, you're absolutely right. Even the strongest people, the ones that I was looking up to before this pandemic, who I thought, man, they just are crushing it. They, they even reached out to me and said, Hey, I could use a conversation with you because I'm really struggling. Um, yeah, I mean, I think none of us are immune to what we're dealing with with this pandemic and isolation and quarantine. Um, but there are things that we can be doing to stay connected and video chatting is one of them and, and meeting up at a park for a virtual call co- or for a coffee right. walk or whatever. Just doing what we have to to have that human connection be present um, is going to nurture us. I mean, we, we're humans. We need the connection. So, you know, and, and I always say to people, don't assume the person that you think is the strongest one in the pack is really okay. Always check on them because it's the ones that you think are bulletproof that are the ones, you know, suffering in, in isolation and silence. And, and that that's a very that's a very valid point. Um, and it's hard to believe that you and I have been on the phone now for almost an hour. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Time flies when you're having fun or, or talking about depression. I don't know. But I, I just find it very interesting. And you've been doing this new career that you're doing, working with these businesses for how long? Well, it's been about two years, but I spent 19 years working in that corporate space, so I'm very familiar with okay. it. Okay, and with with the whole idea of the pandemic, because to me, listening to you talk, and I hate to say this, but the pandemic came at a very opportune time for you to actually work, do the work you're doing, because I don't think many people realized they were having this issue until the problem that we're dealing with now. Yeah, you might be right about that, but still, it doesn't mean that companies are willing to put money behind it, right? It's one thing for them to maybe start to wake up that it's, that it is affecting their people, but it's hard to get them to put additional dollars behind it when they feel like, well, I already have a really good benefits package for my right. people, right? But so, so yes and no. So, you know, like I said, I love working with the, the innovative, forward-thinking, motivated people, um, organizations, leaders, um, because then I don't have to try to convince them to do the, that it's the right thing to do. Um, so, so not the, everyone's there yet. So the corporations you're working with, and I know you can't mention names, but mm-hmm. are they newer companies or are they ones that have been established for many years? Um, the one is mainly employs all millennials. Okay. I can say that much. So they're, they're dealing with a younger population. They definitely wanted to be more, um, out and supportive of their, of their younger population. Um, the other one is a global company and yeah, it's been around, it's been around a while, but, um, um, I would say, I would, I, I don't know. They've probably been around longer, long, uh, way longer than I, than I am guessing, um, the other one uh, is a very old company. Um, the the one that I'm just starting to talk to now is is a is a mainstream organization with with you know a, a lot of employees like okay. globally. So I mean I think it's a mixed bag. I think it just depends on leadership, depends on the company's values and the philosophy, you know, and you know, and, and whether or not they have a, their thumb on the pulse of how their people are doing, you know, now, whether they're leaders. Are asking, yeah. The millennial company you're working with are they more accepting to the ideas that you're giving them? 
Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Like it goes beyond me. I'm like one of one of many <laughs> service providers they're working with. Okay. <laughs> it's great. It's great to hear all the goodness that they're doing for their people. Because I can see the older companies having a little bit more resistant because it goes back to that saying we've never had this issue before and we've never had to do yeah. this. So the yeah. millennials as much slack as we give the millennials, I think they are becoming the more well-rounded individuals in our society. You might be right about that. Yeah, I mean, they're openly talking about brain health. Yes. Yeah, hats off to them. Hats off for them for being conscious, a conscious consumer, you know, that they're willing to, they're, they're concerned about the companies they're giving their money to. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of advantages. But that, that's a, a very interesting generation. So, Michelle, I really appreciate you joining me this evening. And again, the confusion at the beginning of the program, I apologize for. But in the future, if there's anything else you want to talk about and you'd like to come back on the program, the door is always open to you. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah, thank you very much. And if people are interested in my resilience program, just go to my website and look up protecting our happy and that's on michelle com. and i will share that on the uh, on my website and also on the podcast that's created from this and i will also share the information about your book also um breaking into my life growing up with a bipolar parent and battling to reclaim myself so michelle if there's anything else you want to tell my audience please do it um Yes, yes. Give yourself grace. We're living through a pandemic. If I, if, I, if I could leave you with anything, give yourself grace. We all might be in the same ocean, but we're all in very different boats. So just be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with those you love. And, and always think about the person that you can be asking, are you okay? Because okay. they might ha- not have anyone at home asking them that. And I think that's very important to remember because these people may not have that support unit at home that they need not only adults but also adults also young teenagers and young adults exactly um so again i appreciate you joining me this evening and again thank you very much and you have a great night thank you you too bye-bye bye-bye michelle dickinson here online with yours truly bill alexander thank her very much for joining us this evening um again that's not the way to start a program. It, again, what happened was, for some reason, my one phone line died out. And um, I don't know if the phone company's having an issue, but no one told me. And I kept getting this air message whenever she was calling me, and I figured out what it was at the last minute. We straightened it out. So no harm, no foul. Everything, <laughs> foul and everything is good. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for yours truly, Bill Alexander. Again, great program tonight. Thank you very much to Michelle for joining us, and I really enjoyed that. Guys, thank you very much. A um, couple things coming up real soon, and we're keeping our fingers crossed that um, I'll be able to get the uh, gentleman on my uh, uh, program here very soon. And let me see if I can pull up the information real quick um, without stammering (laughs) as we go on here. But you may be familiar with the name Cecil Glenn. Um, And if you're not, you're familiar with the group Tag Team, the hip-hop group Tag Team. And if you're not familiar with them, they're doing the commercial for Geico right now, dealing with scooping ice cream. And um, Scoop, there it is. Well, they had a hit song in the 80s called Whoop, 
There it is. Well, Cecil has agreed to be on my program in the next few weeks. We're trying to work out dates and times. Once we do that, I will let you know. And um, we have other people that are going to be joining us real soon. So, fingers crossed, we'll be doing it here um, very soon. Uh, Carol Robinson is going to be joining us from the uh, famous uh, podcast. She'll be with us in the next couple of weeks. But until then, we are out of here. You guys have a great night. And thank you very much for joining me here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Anyone else have trouble sleeping last night and the night before that? Same. And I've tried everything, but it either doesn't help me sleep so I'm cranky and tired the next day, or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the Diem. Make their mission your mission, because they will not rest until we all rest. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or DesignerLooks.com.